Revenge is sweet, especially when it comes 11 years later. Okay, I'm kidding, but Michigan State did go to Butler and defeat the Bulldogs rather easily on Wednesday night. We will discuss the wins and takeaways from the early stages of the MSU basketball season before shifting to football. Uh, Earlier this week, Matt Wenzel was joined by several Ohio State reporters from our sister site, Cleveland.com, for a comprehensive preview of Michigan State Ohio State showdown in Columbus this weekend. I'm Brandon Champion, joined by Kyle Austin for the start of the show here on Thursday, November 18th, 2021. Uh, Kyle, how's it going, man? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. A uh, little bit of a busy week. I, I heard there's a football game on, on Saturday, but I'm, I'm, it's basketball season here for me. We're always going to make an excuse to talk about basketball, <laughs> even though one of the biggest uh, games in the country this weekend involves the team that we cover extensively on this podcast. But, uh, you know, that's coming up later. we got a full half hour conversation about about that. Um, so we're just going to squeeze in a little basketball here because it's been a little bit of, uh, uh, since we talked about it. So, um, yeah, coming up, observations about the win versus Butler last night. If you could please like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Uh, check out our work on MLive.com slash Spartans. Hit us up on Twitter, email us if you have questions or comments. We appreciate you very much for listening. So, Kyle, uh, Michigan State goes to Indianapolis to historic Hinkle Fieldhouse, uh, wins 73-52, you know, in what I would characterize as an ugly game, but a comfortable win for the Spartans. It was it was kind of weird watching it because, like, I wouldn't say it was uh, anything pretty, especially in the first half, but, um, you know, Michigan State really wasn't challenged throughout. No, and I do I do give them some credit for going on the road for the first time this season, uh, you know, facing uh, a good road environment really for the first time, as we talked about, since um, March 2020. Um, and, you know, rising to the moment and looking really good. Uh, got off to a really good start. I think they were 8 for 11 to start the game, not intimidated at all. Um, and, you know, Butler wasn't very good, but when they did try to make a little bit of a run there early in the second half, uh, Michigan State made the shots and shut it down. You know, they, they cut it to six, I believe, quickly on a tie gross three. Um, and then Max Christie turned around, went right down the court and hit a three. Michigan State goes on a 10-point run, and, and the game's essentially over from there. So I, uh, I was impressed. Um, I, I think that was very much an open question of how this team would deal with playing on the road. And um, they certainly rose to that moment. I think they were probably one of the biggest uh, takeaways for them. Yeah, I mean, certainly a, a big stage, you know, packed house at Hinkle. I, you know, follow some people who were down there and it looked like it was an electric like electric atmosphere. Um, I mean, I guess when you look at the numbers, Michigan State shoots, you know, uh, almost 47% from the field uh, throughout. I guess it was just that the the second half of the first half that was really ugly where they kind of went on that, that dry spell. I mean, I was getting frustrated because, you know, Butler was a walking turnover for a while there. Every time they would drive to the basket, they would try and make some pass and Michigan State's length would either block it by Bingham or, you know, get an interception. Uh, I really liked early on how aggressive they were being. You mentioned the good start, just going right to the basket. You know, this team has questions shooting the ball. I still think that's a question, question mark. But, you know, it was nice to see them be aggressive, at least early on and sort of set the tone. Um, but, you know, certainly things that we can we can uh, nitpick as well. I mean, where do you want to go first? What, what were some positives or some negatives that stood out? Uh, positives, um, you know, we can talk about Max Christie more and we just did a, a, a little bit, but I really like what Marcus Bingham is doing for this team right now. Um, you know, he not, he's not going to be, you know, one of these 20 point a game guys, like some of your wings are, but, um, 
you know, just really steady down there. Really. I mean, four for four. Um, he's been almost automatic uh, when he gets the ball down there in the low post um, rebounding. Well, six block shots. And, and that was the biggest thing to me is the interior defense, uh, something that doesn't show up in a box score, but you like you watch closely the number of shots that he's um, that he's affecting, even if he's not blocking them. And, you know, just the number of shots around the rim that don't, happen because of him frankly you know like when he's playing that well and he's rim protecting that well like teams just aren't going to go to the hoop and they're going to have to take a lot tougher shots um and, and so much of that um you know comes back to the way he's playing defense right now he's he's doing better on ball screens he's more engaged he's got a higher motor um you know i was wondering how many minutes he could even play you know this year because his conditioning's always kind of been a thing uh, but he put up 25 last night and i thought looked good throughout so i it certainly took a while, um, and it's only three games, but he scored in double figures in all of them. I don't think he's had any major letdowns. Um, he has not taken a three since that uh, Kansas game, so that's going to help keep him in the game too. Uh, but this is the Marcus Bingham uh, we've been waiting for, um, a guy that um, I just think has really been solid um, all around and um, is uh, you know kind of a, kind of a bit, a bit of an under-the-radar having a great start for this team. Yeah, I mean, 10 points, uh, six rebounds, six blocks, two steals, uh, two fouls. So that's that's key, obviously, yeah. for him to stay mm-hmm. in the game, to only commit two fouls. But, yeah, I mean, coming into the season, you know, we talked about it at length about, you know, maybe having questions about the center spot. That was the, the, the area of concern that we had. And Bingham really, I think, has called a lot of those nerves, at least early in the season, because he's playing very consistent, um, affecting the ball, uh, affecting the play on both ends of the court. He seems active. Um, you know, Marvel's coming and giving them some solid minutes, but he is what he is at this point. I think we know. So if they're going to continue to have success, uh, you know, Marcus Bingham is going to have to be the guy down low uh, doing that. And I think he's done a good job so far against, you know, two uh, major programs at least. So, you know, if there's a concern, I think it's pretty obvious what the concern is at this point. Maybe we can shelve some of our concerns about the center position and look more at the power forward, the four. Uh, Joey Hauser, rough, rough game last night. I mean, just – Two points, uh, three turnovers, uh, you know, six rebounds. So helping in the rebounds, I think that's why he plays a lot. But, you know, not hitting the open threes, I mean, that's basically what he's on the floor to do offensively. Um, So I think that's a concern. And Malik Hall is still the same Malik Hall we've seen the first two years where he'll come in, he, he has the ability to get to the basket. He's a guy who can get a bucket when you need it, but sometimes he's out of control. You know, I think his first play, he basically tried to run through someone and got a charging foul. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm a little nervous about the four. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, position-wise, that's been the biggest issue. Um, you know, I still think they're going to let Joey Hauser play through a lot of this stuff, um, but, you know, it, it's been a while now. We've kind of been waiting to see, you know, the real Joey Hauser, quote-unquote, the, the dude who hit, uh, what was it, 42% of his threes at Marquette as a freshman. Um and, you know, I just you wonder at a certain point, it's like, uh, you know, is this who he is? Um, I, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to go over five uh, a whole lot of nights, but um, he just doesn't seem to have the shot. And it's been a season plus now. And, um, yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of it. You know, I, I think his defense is better, but he's still not, you know, a really good defensive guy that's going to get on, you know, make that his um, his calling card. Um, you know, sloppy with the ball. I mean, I, I don't think he was bad in the first two games. He didn't stand out. Um he was okay. So, you know, maybe you can chalk it up to one game, but um, yeah, I, he was my, 
he was my pick for breakout player of the year. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest with that. I'm not feeling good about that pick now. Um, but I really thought with um, Tyson Walker finding him in spots that he'd get these open threes um, and he'd start hitting them. And the beginning part of that has happened. I think Tyson Walker's played well. I think he's, they found him in spots and gotten him open threes and whether it's a block, whether it's um, whatever it is um, it's just not happening for him right now. I get the sense that Tom, like, at least Tom thinks or knows that he needs Joey Hauser to play, to be one of the, you know, three, four best players on this team. And that's why he's letting him sort of work through this stuff because last night, like he, he should have been benched and he pretty much was in the second half. He didn't play nearly yeah. as much as he did in the first half. And, but you know, like he just seems to have a longer leash than a lot of the other guys um, in Tom Izzo's eyes. And I, I don't know if it's because like Tom thinks that he needs him for his rebounding and scoring for this team to be successful and maybe he's trying to let him work through stuff, but I mean, he shouldn't have been playing last night. I'm sorry. He, he wasn't good. It, it, it's a, it's a confidence thing. I think, okay. um, uh, I mean, you get pulled when you take bad shots and I didn't think he took bad shots. He just missed no. good. He just missed good shots. Um, so when you start pulling guys, you know, for that, um, that's going to affect his confidence. And I, I think, I think the shooting thing, um, you know, I think Michigan State's treating it as a confidence thing. And you work through that by making sure they're still taking those shots, making sure they're not gun shy. Um, so that's what they're trying to do uh, with him, I think. You know, Tom Izzo made a point to say afterwards, you know, he had no problem with Joey. I, I know fans were up in arms about him. Um, Tom Izzo said, you know, he missed five good shots. Bad night. We're going to move on. So um, I, I don't think we're going to see his minutes um, go down significantly, you know, right away. I think they're going to let him work through it some, but you know, come big 10 play, uh, if this is still happening, then yeah, then you've got some, then you've got a situation on your hands. 19 points, six rebounds for Gabe Brown, 18 points, uh, you know, all around floor, good floor game for Max Christie. Thought he played really under control. We saw some of the stuff that makes, uh, that made him a five-star recruit, you know, whether it's the Euro step to the basket where he's breaking ankles or, uh, you know, calling, <laughs> taking control of the ball and calling for a screen and then getting to the basket. I mean, uh, safe to say that those two, I think, are probably going to be the, the two leading scorers on this team. I think the big question is who's number three, whether that's Hauser, whether that's Tyson Walker. I think Tyson Walker has the ability. The kid just will not shoot the ball. I, <laughs> I don't know what is going on there. Like, I don't know if, like, you know, because of how last year went, the entire offseason, you know, all this talk about needing a point guard that's going to get everyone involved and, you know, be the guy who mixes things up and, and gets everyone going. I think you've said before, maybe he's gone a little bit too far in the other direction there. I mean, I think they need him to be a scorer and only five points last night. No, they, they do. Um, they need him doing more. I, I almost laugh because the, the one three he took um, against Butler, he swished it and then turns around and the ref calls him out of bounds for his foot being on the, on the sideline. So that was em emblematic. I thought, no, we actually, after the, um, um, after the last home game, we, we, uh, we had a little chat with Tyson Walker when he came up and he was pretty open about, the issue he's kind of having with his shot, which is that when he was at Northeastern, like he was the dude. I mean, he was not only the point guard, but he was their best scoring option. And it was basically green light all the time. Like you come off a screen, um, you come up the court, like you are looking to shoot. And he said, yeah, I took a lot of shots that were our best option then, but now like they would be really bad shots that, you know, the type of shots that, you know, hand in your face, um, contested off the dribble, you know, stuff that Tom Izzo would yank you for immediately. So he's trying to transition from shoot everything all the time, because that's what I got to do to, all right, make, you know, 
don't shoot all those, you know, focus on, you know, running the offense, making the pass. And I think, I think he said that's been that's difficult for him. And he said, he admits, he's like, I don't know what was a good shot anymore because what is a good shot for me changed completely from year to year. And I do think, yeah, the pendulum swung too far from shoot all the time to, okay, I'm just going to pass all the time. And he, you know, he's, he's a new guy in a historically very good program with a lot of good players around him. And I, I just think he, he wanted to, you know, uh, focus on his um, his uh, ball distribution. So he's there's a balance there. Um, you know, he thinks he's going to find it. Tom Israel thinks he's going to find it. He hasn't found it yet uh, because they need him shooting more than three times um, in a game. But um, I, you know, there's you know, after a game like that, there's worse problems to be had. I mean, he still has five assists, three to- turnovers, a little high, but two steals. Um, overall, a good game for him. But yeah. It, I think third leading score, he's probably, I mean, if Joey Howard can shoot, uh, he's as good a candidate as anybody, I think, Tyson Walker. And I think I think he'll settle in a little bit more as we go. I do too. I do too. But, I mean, this is the most – I'm just looking at the stats here. This is the most Michigan State thing ever. I mean, they got 20 turnovers and win by 20. I mean, like, <laughs> that's not going to work against better teams. I mean, Butler well, is a proud program, but they're, they're down this year. No, and that, that was going to be my other big takeaway, not to be Debbie Downer, but like – Butler might be pretty bad. Like they were three and zero, but they—they, they, I think all those teams they played were like sub two thirty in Ken Palm or something. Like they basically hadn't played anybody, and um, maybe it was a bad night for them. But they were below five hundred last year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, wor- I, you know, I know some people were really high after last night. I'm, I'm worried that that game's not going to mean a whole lot. I mean, credit to them. You go to Hinkle and you win by 20, 21. That's, um, that, that's a good night no matter what. But I, I have a feeling come selection Sunday, that's not going to be a quad one win, um, for you. So, um, I, I, I'm, I'm withholding major judgment, um, after that game. Yeah, I don't. I don't think IUPUI, Central Arkansas, and Troy are no. uh, making anyone uh, uh, but, reconsider things. <laughs> uh, but I do think we should talk about Max Christie a little bit more because that was the first. I mean, I don't like count exhibitions. Uh, they're D two. That was the first night where I was like, "Yeah, th- this is a dude." Like this is what they've been talking about all preseason. Like I see it now. Like that was the first time. I don't know if you felt the same way. That's the first time I felt that way last night. Oh, he stood out. I mean, he yeah. was he was making plays where you're like, yes, this is why this kid is a five-star freshman. I mean, even mm-hmm. defensively, I thought he was really good last night, moving his feet, staying in front of guys. I mean, he is the guy, I think, that's going to – him and Gabe Brown. I mean, I think we saw that last night. You know, Gabe Brown, obviously, notoriously streaky. He got going in the second half with his shot. Uh, but I think those two are probably – it's pretty safe to say those are going to be the two leading scores. Again, it's just looking for that third guy. But, yeah, Max Christie, uh, as advertised – Selfishly as a fan, I hope we get him next year too, um, because I think he could end up being one of the best players in the country coming into next season if he stays. So um, that'll be interesting to watch. But uh, we got to wrap this up and get to the football talk. But Kyle, I mean, I'll just ask big picture here. I mean, three games in now, they played two what you would call quality opponents. Um, is this team about what you expected? Better? Worse? Uh, how, how are you? How are you sizing them up so far? Uh, probably about what I expected. Um, you know, I, I would have got. You know, I think. You know, before the season, I guess, a win at Butler, a loss at uh, Kansas. So none of that was too surprising. Um, like I said, front court play, you know, Marcus Bingham has been better than I expected. Uh, they're a good rebounding team. They're getting low post baskets pretty well. Um, that's been better. Um, shooting, um, you know, they're like, a, I think they're a 32% three-point shooting team through three games and two exhibitions, which, um, so that's a little bit lower. I did think that, um 
I did think that was going to go up by a decent amount and it still could, but um, sample size is getting larger and they're still not hitting three. So I, I think that's probably one of the biggest concerns uh, defensively. They're pretty good. So about what I thought, maybe a little bit ahead uh, after a 21 point win, but uh, we're about to find out a whole lot more because when they go to uh, Bahamas next week, that, that's a really good field down there. That's going to teach them a lot. Yeah, they're going to play three very good teams, regardless of how that shakes out. So, uh, yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, I was I was hoping that maybe like nationally people were sleeping on them a little bit. But, you know, after watching the first, you know, couple weeks of the season here, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh in the Big Ten probably looks about right. But who knows? I think there is room to grow with this team. Well, the Big Ten might also be worse than we thought, too, because I don't (laughs) don't want to put too much stock in November, but the Gavin games have not been very good for them. Maryland lost to George Mason last night. <laughs> yeah, like, that too. We don't even need the Gavin games. Um, okay. Well, next game is Saturday at 5 o'clock. It's against Eastern Michigan. It's on Big Ten Plus, I think. So, sorry, everyone. If you, uh, I kept my uh, BTN Plus uh, subscription from the exhibitions knowing this was coming. But uh, hopefully we don't get too many more games like this. But, you know, it's football. Football on Saturday on BTN. So, uh, the, the game against Eastern Michigan is going to get pushed. But, um, anything else, Kyle, or should we get out of here? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much about coverage. A lot more to talk about next week, though. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll stay on the team, and obviously a uh, big game in Columbus this weekend for the football team. So uh, that's going to do it for Kyle and I, but now we'll, we'll uh, continue the pod with our special crossover segment uh, with some of the football guys here. Here is uh, Doug Lamaris, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means from Buckeye Talk, and our buddy Matt Wenzel. Enjoy. All right, welcome everybody to this crossover part of the pod between Spartan Confidential and Buckeye Talk. I'm Doug Maurice from Buckeye Talk with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means from Buckeye Talk and Matt Wenzel from Spartan Confidential. We're going to go back and forth talking about Michigan State and Ohio State, what they do best, some surprise things, things to look out for in this football game. Um, Nathan and Stephen will split the load for Ohio State and Matt will carry the load for Michigan State. So let's start with this. Matt Wenzel, who is the most important player in this game for the Spartans? Well, I mean, I think everybody's going to think of Kenneth Walker III. Um, He's Heisman candidate for a reason. Uh, But I think, you know, with him, if he's not getting it done, then I don't think Michigan State has a chance. So I would go beyond that and say uh, quarterback Peyton Thorne. Because if you look at it, I mean, I guess Ohio Ohio State's defense has obviously been a little better recently than earlier in the season, at least it looks like. But, you know, Thorne. But against the pass, that seems where they're, they're more susceptible um, numbers-wise. And, you know, Thorne's been really efficient this year. He's completing 63% of his passes for 246 yards a game, 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Um, he's really, you know, they have an explosive offense. that We've seen that in the passing game, which they lacked in recent years. They're down one of their top two wide receivers in Jalen Naylor, who's missed uh, the last two games. I mean, obviously, we don't know if he's going to be able to play on Saturday. But I think I think Thorne is where it starts because if, if – if Walker's getting what he should get, then that opens obviously opens up the pass a little bit more for them. It's not to give away the goods, but we're recording this midweek on Wednesday. Is there a chance Naylor plays? If, if you can get injury news out of Mel Tucker, good because <laughs> he gives out any I mean he said it multiple times and he flat out said, said last week he was confronted with, you know, what do you what do you tell us what if you have a season ending injury? And he again just said, Look, I'm not my my goal is to give you give out as little information as possible to help the opponents. He was not, you know, he makes it very clear. His go-to answer is guys are sore and they'll be ready when they're ready. That's his standard response. 
Cool. Well, you adopted that very well, Matt. So <laughs> we have, he didn't answer. We have no idea to that answer. That seems like a big deal if Jalen Naylor would be available, though, to have that two right yeah. receivers that would challenge this Ohio State defense. Uh, Nathan, who's the most important player for Ohio State in this game? Well, sort of keeping on the, the Kenneth Walker the third theme, I'm going to say Steel Chambers. The first two games of this year, Ohio State did not stop the run well. Muhammad Ibrahim had a big game for Minnesota before he uh, sustained his season-ending injury. Uh, Oregon ran for 260-some yards in the second game, the game where they beat Ohio State at Ohio Stadium. And linebacker execution, linebacker discipline, linebacker athleticism, all of those things were lacking from the defense at that time. And Steel Chambers, who was a running back as recently as like July, has very surprisingly brought all of those things to the linebacker core, to the Ohio State defense. We think the Ohio State defense has improved. We've seen it improve steadily over the course of the year. And part of that has been figuring out a, a better baseline of personnel, making some other scheme changes. But part of it is just finding guys who play better. And Steel Chambers has been the guy who has played the most consistently from the linebacker group. So obviously stopping Kenneth Walker the third is not all about what happens at the second level because if you're you know if you're not having success up front against Michigan State and making it tough for him there, then you've lost half the battle. But I think it's going to be important for more stability at the second level from Ohio State than what they showed against the teams very, very early this year that ran the ball so well, who they haven't played a team anything like that for the last two months. They've got to show that um, they have passed that challenge when it comes again, because it's not the last time they're going to see it as they keep trying to progress towards a playoff berth. So I, I want to save some of this conversation because there's more I want to get into about Kenneth Walker the third in this matchup against Ohio State's defense. So let's move on to the next question. Stephen, we'll start with you. Who's an under-the-radar player for Ohio State who could make a real difference on Saturday? I don't know if you can call Chris Olave a Belitnikov semifinalist an under-the-radar player. No. But he's – You mean no, the, you great, can. The, great, the greatest receiver in Ohio <laughs> State history? Chris Olave. Right. No way is he an under-the-radar player. What, what do you think – what do you think the definition of under-the-radar is? Like, Except – if someone were running radar about like flights in the Columbus area, Chris Olave would be below that because he's a human right. being who walks on the ground. Right. Except for the last two weeks, we've seen the other wide, we've seen Garrett Wilson and, and Jack Sismic, the Jigma just kind of have the day while he's kind of in the background here. He hasn't had a hundred yard game since Maryland. And it just feels like even last week he had nine catches for 85 yards, but a lot of that felt forced. I think he had like 16 uh, uh, targets in, to get those nine catches, and it just felt forced. And it doesn't feel like he's been a – the deep ball hasn't been a staple in the offense, right, all season, basically because everybody's tried to take it away. Is this the game where, you know, that kind of unlocks itself and it's kind of just Chris Olave's turn and this wheel of which receiver is going to go off next? Is this his opportunity where we see that? All right, Matt, Michigan State, who's an under-the-radar under the guy. Well, I'm going to stick with the theme that Steven had and, and go with wide receiver. You know, go back to Naylor being, I mean, probably out. I don't know. He's got a, what appears to be a right hand injury. So I'm going to say, obviously, we know Jaden Reed is capable of, and he's their top receiver. Uh, but I'm going to go with a, a double uh, answer with Trey Mosley and Montori Foster. Mosley's been their third guy all year. He's been, he fits the kind of the mold of under the radar, but, you know, really solid 28 catches, 417 yards, two touchdowns. And, you know, he's, I think his role has increased since Naylor's been out. And then the same with Montori Foster, who's a guy, I don't know if you guys remember, but he's a St. Ed guy from Cleveland. He was a basketball prospect and, you know, really interesting stuff. He hadn't played organized football since like sixth grade. 
Um, and then before his senior year, he's like, all right, you know, give this football thing a shot. And you know, next thing he knows, you know, he's at Michigan State. So he had his uh, first career touchdown catch last week on uh, uh, against Maryland on a flea flicker. Uh, if you've seen Michigan State this year, that has been a staple of their offense. They've used it five times and have four touchdowns, which is something. Um, but Foster's a speed guy, you know, really, and with his hoops background, um, got great leaping ability. So I would go with uh, one of those two uh, to compliment Jaden Reed because with Naylor out, the, the passing attack, as much as they say they got, you know, the next man up stuff, they don't have anybody that can really match his speed and really, I mean, his, his veteran presence, you know, and his ability to block and all that stuff. On alert for flea flickers. That's, uh, that's I would be <laughs> five in a season is a lot. That's really interesting. All right, that's let's the get second week in a row that, that they're playing a team that is kind of known for mixing that stuff in. And yeah. Purdue didn't do it a lot. Purdue well, they ran really their, chance the fake. It. Purdue ran yeah. the fake flea flicker, which I don't know if I've ever seen that before. They ran one of those against Michigan State on a double reverse flea flicker screen pass, I think it was. And it was it yep. was one of those, and it took like three hours for the play to be over, but they scored on it. And it was uh, one of those, you know, one of those days for Michigan state. Wow. All right. We are all on alert. Then uh, let's talk about Kenneth Walker, the third, a little bit more, Nathan, you, you sort of got into this a decent amount with the steel chambers discussion, but why might Ohio state have trouble with this guy? What, what is it about? Not just that Kenneth Walker, the third is good, but that why it might be a tough matchup for the Ohio state defense. Well, we just don't know that these guys are very good run stoppers, partially because they haven't had to face a team that runs the ball. I mean, go back through everybody that they've played since the Oregon game. You know, Tulsa, pass-heavy team. Akron's just doesn't matter. And and everybody they've played in the Big Ten, with the exception of Nebraska, ranks in the bottom half of the Big Ten in, in yards per attempt. And Nebraska is a run game led by the quarterback. So we have not seen Ohio State have to stop, have to answer the thing that Oregon killed them with. And so that's, I guess, still just my, it's not necessarily that I think Ohio state doesn't have that. I've seen that Ohio state doesn't have the personnel or the scheme now to stop that, but they just have not, we haven't seen it in practice. They haven't had to go do it yet. I, I do still have, I guess, some concern about just the linebacker group in general that steel chambers has been a nice surprise this year. And that Cody Simon has come along and been a little bit more stable They've got some other guys who are veterans who play in behind that, but it's not like the level of play there has been consistently excellent. And you still have questions about safety play over the top of everything. And that's where Oregon was burning him too. That if something does break down, sometimes they're getting caught flat footed in the back and guys are breaking big plays on them. So there's just a lot of combinations in there. Ohio state may have the people in place to solve all those things, but we just haven't had to see them do it now. And it's been two months. Again, crossover between Buckeye Talk and Spartan Confidential here, doing this for both audiences. Matt, Kenneth Walker III had a special game against Michigan, right? I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. Statistically, there have been other games this year where he's carried the load a lot, but, you know, has not averaged nine yards per carry or something. What What is this guy? Where is he on the special meter? How, how good of a back? He's good. But what's the context of how good this guy is? I mean, when when he committed, in, you know, out of the transfer portal, I looked at his tape, and Michigan State played Wake Forest in the Pinstripe Bowl in 2019. I remember being there. I don't, I didn't remember uh, Kenneth as a true freshman then. But I, you know, when he committed, I looked at his tape. I'm like, all right, this guy's pretty good. You know, he's got something. But I think what the difference is is 
you know, Wake Forest runs that, that really delayed mesh point. You know, if you've seen them, it, it, you know, it's just different. And now when he's getting the ball and, and quickly and not having to wait, you know, he'd use, be able to use his vision, which I think playing in that old offense kind of developed because of the time that it takes before he gets the ball. Um, I mean, he just got the combination of, of his vision, his cutting ability, um, speed, the ability to run with power. I mean, he's a guy that when he showed up in January, they were instantly talking about him setting room uh, records in the weight room. Um, he's just, <laughs> he's, he's gotten a little bit of everything. They haven't used him a ton in the passing attack. We've seen that a little bit creep up a little bit last week um, with, with Naylor being out, but um, he's just a tough guy to take down. Peyton Thorne was asked about him the other day and he said he's the best player he's ever seen with two eyes. Mel Tucker was asked about him on ESPN last night and he said he's just about the most talented guy he's ever been around. And I mean, I know you want to praise your players, but you know, Mel's been doing this for 25 years and he worked in you know, a decade in the NFL, been on two national championship staff. So Walker's really special talent. Michigan state hasn't anybody at, like that at running back. Probably nobody at all like that in, in quite a while. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, you can't, it's hard to overstate uh, the difference that he's made for them this year. I mean, remember this is a team <laughs> that averaged 91 yards rushing last year. They had zero touchdowns from their running backs last year. It was the worst rushing offense in, in program history. And now you got a, you got a Heisman, you plucked a Heisman candidate out of the portal and you have him in your backfield. So, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's, he's a hell of a player and, and he's a nice kid. You know, he constantly, you ask him about himself, you know, what he's doing, yada, yada. It's credit to the offensive line, credit to his teammates, yada, yada. So nice kid, really talented. That's compelling. 91, I didn't the 91 rushing yards per game last year, and now doing what he's doing. That is a transformation. 91.4. Sorry, I should. Oh, oh I, I gotta on, include Matt. that too. God, I mean, they couldn't, they absolutely could not run the ball to save their life last year. I can't get over the not, no rushing touchdowns last year. Now you have a Heisman Trophy candidate at running back. That's, That's wild. just <laughs> well, they they're tight. Uh, Thorne had one rushing touchdown, and uh. their tight end, who was a former walk-on punter had your other rushing touchdown last year on a jet sweep <laughs> at Iowa. What a year last year was for the Michigan state Spartans. Uh, I do. Can I, can I follow up Matt real quick, just about how good is the Michigan state offensive line? What's the level it's playing at in conjunction with what Walker's doing? Um, it's, it's better. Um, this is a line that had been quite frankly, not really good in, in recent years. Um, and, you know, We'll explain it. They had a for the 18 and 19 seasons, they just they couldn't keep guys healthy. It was a different combination every week, and it, and it quite it really wasn't any good. Struggling in the push. They brought in Jarrett Horse as a as a portal guy from Arkansas State starting at left tackle. And they and so that, that allowed them to rework things. And basically they they struggled having a true left tackle. Um, and they were kind of using guys out of position. They had a lot of like more guard bodies. So getting it horsed in allowed Kevin Jarvis, who was really a guard, natural guard, but he's played both tackle spots, allowed him to move back inside. They took last year's left tackle, AJR Curry, moved him to right tackle. But what was really interesting, through the first seven games, they used nine primary guys up front. Basically two different, for the most part, two different rotations that just had Jarvis in at right guard and then he'd kick out to right tackle with the second group. Um, but Horst has missed the last two games. Um, he's been out for what Tucker said is a medical reason. Their backup right guard, Matt Carrick, has missed the last three games. And according to his tweet uh, last week, he is done for the season with a right leg injury. So that that has altered their their look up front. But again, it's to try and boil it down. They've been better, but I think 
if you watch the Michigan game, you saw where some of that weakness is. Granted, that was against, you know, on the left side against Aiden Hutchinson and, and uh, David Ajabo, who are two of the best edge rushers in the nation. But they've been better. Um, not It's not some sort of elite 1990s Dallas Cowboys offensive line, though. Mel, they'll they'll give some, create some holes for, for Walker, um, but he can get a lot of the yards uh, on his own using his own talent. Okay, let's talk about the matchup then between sort of what Ohio State does best with its three receivers in the passing game and the Michigan State pass defense. Matt, we'll start with you again. Like what can Michigan State handle this Ohio State passing offense? What's the Spartans pass defense been like this year? Not great, right? Oh uh, yeah, not great would be a way to put it. Um, <laughs> they uh, they they rank dead last in the nation in, in yards per game, passing yards per game allowed. They're in the fifties in efficiency, pass efficiency de- defense. So they'll try to tell you that the numbers, if you really look, start boiling down beyond the yards per game, that they're not as bad. But I mean, we'll sit there and watch them. They they have obviously struggled against you know teams that have good passing attacks. I mean, Western Kentucky. I think Western Kentucky throw the ball around on anyone. Um, but they've, you know, um, Cade McNamara had his best game of his career. Um, he would have been the story of the game if it wasn't for for Michigan State's comeback. He had a great game. Then they go to Purdue and O'Connell just torches him for five thirty six. So they, it's really, I, I mean, their safety play has been been more consistent than their corner play. They rebuilt that corner in the offseason, basically starting from scratch. They had really one guy that was a holdover, and he entered the portal after the fourth game. So. Their top four corners now are three transfers from the offseason in Ronald Williams from Alabama, Chester Kimbrough from Florida, and Marquis Lowry from Louisville, along with true freshman Charles Brantley. Um, and to make things more difficult, Lowry's been dealing with, uh, I think, a leg injury, whatever injury that kept him out of a few games. Um, Ronald Williams and uh, Chester Kimbrough, I'm sorry, Charles Brantley both played hurt against Purdue, according to safety Xavier Henderson, and Brantley didn't even dress for last week's game. So, um, yeah, it's, they've got some issues, so they've kind of tried to give space and, and avoid giving up the big play. And that's led to, it was kind of the, the bend don't break type of thing early in the season. And it worked at times because they allow, you know, Western Kentucky, Indiana, Michigan, they're forcing field goal attempts instead of giving up touchdowns. And, you know, that made the difference. Um, Purdue, they just gave too many points. So I think it is a, a, a huge concern for them um, going into Saturday. And I think that's a big reason why you see Ohio State as a 19-point favorite. So the bad news is that Michigan's pass defense is not very good. But the good news is everybody who's part of it is injured. So More, more or less, yeah. Um, to their credit, um, they have had corners come up with big plays at key times. So the uh, the Nebraska overtime game, uh, uh, Kimbrough had a, an interception in the first uh, half of the first portion of overtime. And, you know, that basically seals the game. He had a strip sack uh, late in the fourth quarter against Indiana. Ronald Williams had a pick against uh, Miami in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm forgetting another play out there, but they, they have made some key plays and they just, they've just given up too many yards. Listen, man, they're in the top 10. I mean, like whatever, yeah. whatever they're doing, it's just, it's not, uh, God, what was the, it's not, not, not the no fly zone. Right. Of no, they like to use that term still. I think that should be retired. This isn't, you know, <laughs> that, 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 this isn't that version of Mark D'Antonio's team where he got all Americans on the corners. And, you know, if you look at it, if, if look at their coaching staff, if they can't fix, I mean, they have the guys to fix it. Mel Tucker's a DB by trade, a DB's a secondary coach by trade. Harlan Barnett's their secondary coach. He's been there forever. Their corners coach is Travis Tillman. He played in the NFL for, for a long time. I mean, they have the guys there. I think it's still trying to fit scheme with personnel when your primary guys didn't show up till the summer and 
half of them or two thirds of them or all of them or whatever it is are hurt. So Steven, we see how what Kenneth Walker, the third does well offensively might be tough for this Ohio state defense to handle. When you hear the Michigan state pass defense talked about like that, what do you think this Ohio state passing game might do against a pass defense like that with the, with the way that passing offense has been operating lately? Yeah, it's funny. The two best teams in the Big Ten have the two worst passing defenses in the Big Ten by a wild margin. I think there's a chance CJ might have a similar day to what we saw last week where he's uber efficient and all three of those guys are involved because it's three of them. They kind of operate in their own areas. Obviously, Chris Olave is the deep ball guy. Garrett Wilson is maybe more of the medium, the intermediate guy. And then obviously you got Jack Smith, the jig band, the slot, working those you know, short, shorter routes. And so I just... This looks like a day where both sides of the ball, it just might get explosive in the passing game, especially for Ohio State, because Ryan Day wants to throw the ball whenever, however, into whoever. And CJ Stroud, obviously, every single week, we've shown we, he's shown us how much he's improved and how much he's developed. So this might just be, as CJ continues to make his Heisman case, another, you know, I don't know, 25 of 30 day or something like that. Mel Tucker coming in here, Cleveland native former Ohio state assistant, former Cleveland Browns assistant is how does that factor into this game at, at all, Matt? Do you, do you think Mel Tucker is trying to rally anything around, Hey, let's go down there and not win one for me, but is, is that part of it or and whether that's part of it or not, what is your read on Mel Tucker and trying to get his team ready to come in here and try to win this game? Uh, the read would be Mel's going to motivate the hell out of his team and use everything he's got. He's just not going to let you know about it. You know, you, you see his emotion on the videos, you know, the in-house production team will shoot at him in the locker room after the game, but he's not going to give you that in the press conference. He's not going to go fire and brimstone and, and talk about any of that stuff. He, he has his, he has the ways to push buttons with his team. When he wants to make a point, he'll make it like, Randomly on Monday, he talked about dressing extra guys for the game and during a TV timeout and looking over and seeing guys sitting on the bench because they're cold to take their names down. And, you know, basically, if you're not if you're not out here up and and helping your team go to the locker room, go sit in the student section, do whatever, because you shouldn't be out here. So, I mean, the Ohio State tie is obviously interesting and he has um, constant praise for Jim Trestle always talks about servant leadership and everything he learned from Jim and, and the connections there, obviously with being on the staff at the same time as Mark and, and all that. But I mean, to get to your point, he's just, he's just making it work with this team. I mean, nobody, obviously nobody saw this coming this year. Um, and he's just, whatever he's doing behind the scenes is working. You know, he knows how to motivate his guys and, and, and get them up for games and, and, yeah, I mean, this will be that'll be the case Saturday. They know what's at stake, and and, and he'll play it all out there for him. Um, and, and we'll see. We we've seen Michigan State be a thorn in Ohio State's side in the past with a former Ohio State assistant as the head coach. Nathan, you've been working on a Mel Tucker story this week, talking to a lot of people about Mel. From talking to those people, what's your read on how you think Mel Tucker has gotten to this place in his career and might handle a game like this? Well, one of the things that keeps coming up is what Matt just talked about, which is just sort of him as a motivator, him as a guy who has a personality that connects with players and is is genuine and that they respect and that makes them want to go out and and get better. He, you know, he he pushes them to be better, holds them accountable, but yet that they still 
um, that there's enough behind there that it's not like they're being, it's not like he's a taskmaster. You know what I mean? Like there's a respect that they come out of that relationship with. Um, I was talking to Kirby smart today, the Georgia coach, he was obviously the defensive coordinator at Georgia. And he was talking about just what a great teacher he was. And that especially early on in smarts career, when he was like a first time head coach um, or a very young head coach, and having Tucker as like this veteran guy, I mean, he's new to the big 10. It seems like he's made this big turnaround at Michigan state, but he's been doing this for a long time. As Matt said, like, you know, been part of championship programs at, at different levels and that his, his stability was big for starting what smart eventually got going at Georgia, what you see paying off this year at Georgia and then Nick Saban uh, from Alabama, kind of the same way that, that his best attribute is just that players want to play for him. And I think that you've seen that, pay off in how they how they've turned this around so quickly at Michigan State where last year they seemed like you know very much a rebuilding situation that we all kind of thought would extend into this year the 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 Big Ten poll we do of 30 some people picked Michigan State to finish last in the east and here they are in the top 10 with two weeks to go so and and a chance still to win the east if they were to beat Ohio State and and take care of business so his personality and his demeanor are things that I think are tangible in the team that they've been putting on the field. I think as far as sustaining it though, at some point you you have to recruit at the level that that where you could sustain this for year after year over year. And that's what's still they're very much the ground floor of. I don't think this the transfer thing in mass probably works year after year. There you funny you mentioned the the recruiting and being persistent. Mel Mel loves to tell a story about how he was uh before he got really into coaching, he was selling stakes out of his trunk. And yep. he made people tell him no, like seven times or whatever. And he one time, lady said she didn't have any room in, his fr- in her freezer. So he like purchased the food out of her freezer to create space for her to buy steaks to put them in there. So he put her freezer food in the transfer portal and put his yes, steaks. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Jim Trestle mentions that steak selling story every time you ask him about Mel Tucker. That's like his go-to Mel Tucker anecdote. But that's why he hired him to come recruit Cleveland for him was because he had heard that story about him selling because, Hey, you, you know, that, that meat's going to spoil. So you, you got to be able to sell it fast. It's a good story. <laughs> I, I like steak. All right, let's get down to the game, Matt. What does a Michigan state win look like on Saturday? What would, what are the things that would have to happen if the Spartans are going to do this? Um, well, it starts with Kenneth Walker being Kenneth Walker. I mean, he's got to have another big game and you know, it's a, it's a heck of an opportunity for him on a national stage. He already made his big Heisman push against Michigan when everybody's watching is another chance. Um, so he's got to have a big day. Thorns, like I mentioned him, is, is the player they need. He's got he's to be efficient, can't turn over the ball. And then, you know, it's a tip, some of the tip, uh, typical things, you know, win the turnovers, can't commit the same stupid mistakes they've been making all season with some of these penalties and special teams and, and things like that. And then um, defensively, just fine some way to not give up 500 yards passing and, and five touchdowns or whatever it is. So they, they got to clean something up in the secondary, be opportunistic on defense. Like we've seen from them at times where, you know, the team's driving, it looks like seven's going on the board any second. The next thing you know, you're going the other way. They had that last week, Maryland looked like they were driving in. I think it would have made it a one score game in the third quarter and their uh, linebacker picks off um, Tongue of Iloa at the goal line, and that's, you know, big play in the game. They go down and score. They need stuff like that. They need every break they can get um, to be able to come out of there with a win. 
just Nathan, that part of it, the Peyton Thorne part of it, that obviously Kenneth Walker is where it starts, but that again, the teams that Ohio State has faced, they haven't faced a run offense like this, but they've also faced sort of like a lot of imbalanced teams that can, can you see how Thorne would have a chance to get something going that again, if it's a cohesive offensive effort by Michigan State? Well, again, yeah, because you have to respect the run game so much more against this opponent than Ohio State's had to in weeks. And Matt points out, you know, statistically where Michigan State is last in terms of yardage allowed. But when you look at yards per attempt allowed, when you look at opposing quarterback rating, it's essentially the same defense as Ohio State. The performance is almost identical, except Michigan State throws the Michigan State opponents throw the ball about 10 times a game more on average. So if you take that 60 or 70 yards and put it on top of what Ohio State's given up, they beat down there at the bottom of the nation in yards allowed given up. So that's where I, when I look at how this would be a Michigan state win, I think we've kind of already seen it. We saw it with Oregon a little bit. Like if Ohio state can't contain the run game, if they're giving up long gashes in the run game, breakaway plays in the run game. And then on top of that, by being able to having to overcompensate for that, Michigan has Michigan state has an efficient passing day on top of that and is able to take advantage of some talent that they have at receiver and, and put pressure on both parts of this Ohio state defense in a way that no one has in two months. I I think that's when it starts to become a problem. Um, It doesn't matter that Ohio state has a really high scoring offense because they're not getting the ball as much. And uh, the other team is putting up big points, which we just haven't seen in a while. The offense is the most important part of that, though, because that's you brought up Oregon. I mean, the defense didn't do its job, but also Ohio State only scored 28 points. We've talked about it at length, this idea that this defense can be terrible, but it doesn't matter because Ohio State's offense is going to give you 45 plus. If it reverts back to the what we saw against Nebraska, what we saw against Penn State, what we saw against Oregon. And this defense is allowing Michigan State to do whatever it wants. And yeah, Michigan State's probably going to win this game. But we could also just live in a world where Michigan State probably scores 30 points, but Ohio State's offense just does what it does. So, Stephen, when you think about what an Ohio State win would look like, does it just lean on Ohio State just scores so much it sort of doesn't matter what Kenneth Walker III does? Yeah, the offense is still the offense. It's 45 points. Kenneth Walker has a quality day, but it – and the defense gives up some stuff, but it does just enough. It gets enough key stops to where it holds a drive here. It holds a drive there. It keeps Kenneth Walker out of the end zone here. Or I, I run that Kenneth, it looks like he's going to run for 25 yards. Instead, he only gets 12 yards. And so now it kind of holds some momentum there. The defense does just enough to not get in the offense's way, which is basically the motto of the Ohio State 2021 season. Matt, do you think that's – is that a fear for Michigan State that, like, the explosiveness of the Ohio State offense would just be, like – no matter what Michigan State does offensively, they just can't keep up. Yeah, I mean, every that's what you know. Mel and and their defensive quarter Scotty Hazelton and safety Xavier Henderson were talking about this week is noting how explosive this is. Mel got asked specifically about the possibility of the game being a shootout, and that obviously didn't go over well for a defensive coach. He said just the term makes him want to vomit. So, but the possibility is certainly there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I agree with the point Stephen was making about what this game look, could look like for an Ohio State win. If, if Walker gets his or even if Ohio State somehow finds, you know, if they find a way to do what, you know, Indiana was able to do, Nebraska was able to do, which was slow him down and, and you know, make things really difficult for him. Um, you know, it could be a game where, you know, back-to-back three and out, you know, Michigan State might be putting up points, but two three and outs in a row in the third quarter and all of a sudden the game's over because you're down by 21. So that's kind of along the lines of what I was thinking as well. All right, I think that's pretty comprehensive. We'll give everybody a last word if they want it. Nathan, with what we've heard today, what we've covered, 
what are your final thoughts as we get ready to head into this top 10 showdown in the shoe? I do think Ohio State is still vulnerable, even though I'm probably going to end up picking them to win this game and, and put up a decent amount of points. And I think something Matt alluded to is going to be crucial. Last week, Purdue gave up two fumbles that weren't even forced by Ohio State. They had that terrible punt that gave Ohio State a short field. If Michigan State's not playing a clean game and it's making mistakes like that, you're just giving Ohio State a game. So if they play a clean game, that's almost got to be the first thing before you start talking about offense, defense, because the talent advantage is going to be there for Ohio State. But if you play a clean game, if you don't just give the ball away, give away possessions, give away the field position, you're at least giving yourself a chance. Steven, what are your final thoughts here? Yeah, I, I, Pretty much agree with that. Don't help Ohio State do what it's already going to do to you anyway. I think the first 30 minutes of this game are going to be interesting. Is it, you know, 21 to 17 at halftime? Then this is going to be fun. This is going to be a, a pretty close game. And I think that that's a game where you start wondering, can Michigan State pull this out? But if it's 24 to 10 because Michigan State's done something to help Ohio State along the way, then you get a little nervous and thinking that Ohio, especially if Ohio State gets ball first to start the second half, then you get a little antsy of like, okay, is Ohio State getting ready to run away with this thing? And Matt, as you wrap up the Michigan State thoughts here, anything that happened in the Big Ten championship game in 13, anything that happened in 15 when Michigan State came in here and won, is that discussed? Is it stuff that Michigan State fans bring up? It obviously was a different head coach, but I think you can see some similarities in – in the style of how Michigan state goes about things. What are your final thoughts here? And does any of what happened in the past matter? Well, Mel Tucker will tell you repeatedly that he doesn't believe the past is indicative of the future. Um, That said, Luke Campbell, who's a six year senior offensive lineman from just outside Columbus, who's never beat Ohio state. He actually, apparently uh, well Monday, he spoke with the team after practice. He's been one of their leaders and was basically drilling him home how important this game is obviously and what it means and, the legacy, the opportunity this has for him. And he apparently, according to Xavier Henderson, said he instructed the guys to go back and watch those 13 and 15 games to see what, you know, you know, some guys might have known about it, but he really wanted to go back and, and watch them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think overall this is – if you'd have told me I'd be standing sitting here in the middle of November talking about playing Ohio State for first place in the division, I, you know, I thought they'd be better this year. Obviously, I did not see this coming in a million years. Um, so it's a hell of an opportunity for Mel and, and the team to go down there with just the, with the chance to play for first place in the division and, and keep the uh, hopes alive to go, go to Indianapolis. So been a remarkable turnaround job so far and biggest challenge coming up Saturday. All right. Thanks to our listeners of Buckeye talk. Thanks to the, our listeners of Spartan confidential. You know, we're on the same company. That's why we're doing this. We got paid by the same big guy. I don't know if he sits in a throne in New Jersey and cuts our paychecks. I don't know, but we are part of a big family. And so when we have opportunities like this, we enjoy doing it. Thanks to everybody who's listening. Thanks to Nathan. Thanks to Steven. Thanks to Matt. I'm Doug. And now back to your respective podcasts.